Katara is actually a really great motivational speaker, mm -hmm. um, even though the prisoners don't respond to her speech. So, I mean, I'll listen to Katara's TED Talk any day because I know it's going to be motivational. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hello and welcome to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. I'm back again forever. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. This week we're going to be discussing book one, chapter six, Imprisoned, or as we like to call it, Katara's TED Talk. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Just a quick bit of news. Uh, since its release on Netflix, Avatar The Last Airbender has actually been in the top five most streamed list. Usually Netflix is very um, quiet about its its numbers and what gets streamed the most. Sometimes they'll ping something once in a while. But having it on a dashboard, essentially, when you're in Netflix is brand new. When it came out, Avatar was number one. Now it's Obviously. down. Yes. And I think I checked it like last week or something like that, and it was three. So it's moving down a little bit, uh, but it's still in that. Out of all the shows that are on there, it's still in the top five, which is amazing. Which shows you it's what the people want. It's what the people want. Just Avatar by the boatload. Absolutely. Just leave it on there. Just leave it we're on gonna there We're going to watch. We're going to binge it multiple times, Netflix. Yes. And then Cora, come on. What are, you, what, are you, what are you thinking? And before we jump in to the episode, I just want to thank everyone who's been giving... Uh, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, the five-star review, and everyone who's been listening on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Basically, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you, thank you. Uh, if you leave a five-star review with a comment, we will read it on the show. I promise you. And feel warm and fuzzy, because otherwise yeah. it's just me and Greg talking with each other. And, yeah. you know, you know that's only so much fun. That's <laughs> Acorn can only take <laughs> so much of me in one sitting, so... Break up our thing a little bit. Leave a comment. Tweet at us at Podcast Avatar. Send us an email. AvatarThePodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We do. We really do. I promise you. All right. Let's get into the episode. So our episode opens with Aang and Katara setting up camp in a lush green wood somewhere in the Earth Kingdom while they wait for Sokka to return with food. When Sokka arrives, he announces that they have a few options. Round nuts? oval-shaped nuts, and rock-shaped nuts. It's meager pickings for dinner, and Katara hopefully asks him what else he found. Momo knocks one of the nuts against a rock, and a loud boom is heard in the distance. Intrigued, he does it again, and another boom echoes through the trees. <laughs> I love how he thinks he's responsible for it. Yeah. Spoiler, he's not. Um... <laughs> Team Avatar goes to investigate and finds a boy practicing earthbending in a gulch. Even though Sokka warns them to be careful because the earthbender could be dangerous, Katara cheerfully approaches him to say hello. She introduces herself and asks him for his name. Frightened, the earthbender runs away and bends the earth across his path to keep them from following. Yeah, it's really funny. They're like, be quiet. Like, don't don't just run up to him. And Katara's just like, hey, I'm <laughs> hey Katara. I'm a friend. And he's like, ah, and just kind of like books it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopeful that the boy is running towards a village that has better food, the gang follows him. They find a small Earth Kingdom settlement nestled in a valley. While strolling the streets and shopping for hats, Katara spots the boy they saw in the woods. She follows him into a shop and asks him why he ran away. 
The boy is startled and tells her she must have him confused with some other kid. But Aang backs Katara up and tells the boy, and what appears to be his mother, that they saw him earthbending in the woods. Some fun fact about um, the kid's mom. The voice is actually Mae Whitman's mother. No way. Her name is really? Pat. Pat Music. Yeah. She's actually Mae Whitman's mother. And she's been doing voice acting for like quite some time. So if you like check out her IMDb page, uh, she's been doing some of the more recent stuff. She was in Batman Mask of the Phantasm, just doing additional voices. But still, that's huge. She was in An American Tale, Five Goes West. Or <gasps> not Five no Goes West, just An American Tale. Yeah. She's like, she's very established. It's like Static Shock, Batman Beyond, Johnny Bravo, Wild Thornberries. Holy crap. Yeah, she's been around for a while. And it's like, I would never have known that because I think a lot of this, with the exception of the DC stuff, was kind of before I was paying attention to voice actors. That's incredible. Who would have thunk? Not me. Not me either. When Aang says they saw Haru earthbending in the woods, this has an immediate effect. The mother shuts the door and windows tight and confronts her son, who deflects and tells her these strange foreigners obviously don't know what they're talking about. She warns him about how dangerous bending is and reminds him what would happen if they caught him bending. Yeah, that's ridiculous, mom. That's like, look at how they're dressed. And they're they're obviously crazy. Though, to be fair, it must be very strange to see two waterbenders or not waterbenders to see two uh, water tribe Mm -hmm. people walking through the Earth Kingdom. I had that thought in the last episode, um, the King of Amashu, how they're walking up to the city in like full blown Arctic gear. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Blue in the middle of the desert too. must be very hot. So like for the kingdom of Omashu, I feel like it's less weird to have differently dressed people show up because it's a city, right? It, I, I imagine they have more tourists than this like Earth Kingdom, like yeah, village. like a settlement. Yeah, exactly. Where like they're all kind of dressed the same. They the very small town mentality or small village mentality. And right away you have two uh, members of the water tribe and an airbender. That sounds like a joke. It's like, yeah, <laughs> an airbender and two water villagers walk into a bar. And what happens? Walk they into an Earth walk, Kingdom shop. <laughs> walk into an Earth Kingdom shop. And then the Fire Nation shows. Oh, wait, that's coming up next. Yep. <laughs> Just then there's a pounding on the door. Sokka peeks through the wood slap blinds to see Fire Nation soldiers and tells everyone to act normal. When the soldiers enter the shop, they find its inhabitants posing naturally this in air quotes, around its wares. Haru's mother asks the soldiers what they want, telling them she's already paid taxes this week. The soldier replies that taxes have been doubled. As he casually bends a fireball in his palm, he adds, you wouldn't want an accident, would you? Defeated, the woman goes to her cash box and gathers up the spare coins there. The soldier takes everything but the copper coins. I had two thoughts about this scene specifically. Number one, everyone act natural. They're all awkwardly posed. That reminds yeah. me of SpongeBob. There's a SpongeBob moment where it's like, well, what do I do? It's like, just act natural. And then it's just like, act natural. So they start to act like a cow. It's like, no, oh my God. not like that. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that episode. It's ridiculous. Uh, and then the other one is I feel like every anime that I've seen that takes place in an environment that's very similar to Avatar always has the episode where a small, like, town's person is getting extorted usually a merchant is getting extorted by a larger uh entity or force 
I feel like I've seen it in so many. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So like right away I think of like Full Metal Alchemist and I think of like like a uh I guess that's the only one I can think of right now. Or maybe maybe even Trigun too. Now that I'm really thinking about it. But it's always that kind of like uh heroes walk in. This small, poor, helpless citizen is being extorted by soldiers. And it's just like it's very interesting they chose to like kind of have that staple in Avatar because Again, when I was first watching this, my first impression was, oh, like knockoff anime, which is is not, obviously. Um, but they decided to go with that like anime trope. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which which works for this because oh, yeah. um they do kind of end up following through with that story arc where they're trying to save the people being extorted. Yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting too how he threw the copper coins back at them because I guess copper while it's also being mined by the earthbenders, it's not as valuable to the fire nation like coal is because they have a whole fleet to, you know, fuel <laughs> across the ocean. I kind of viewed it as a taunt of being like, Oh, this is all you have. This is like, take a bag. It's not good enough for me. Like have some pittance. Um, yeah. The fire have nation. These pennies. Yeah, exactly. It's like these pennies are beneath me. Like take it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. After they leave, Sokka asks how long the fire nation has been there. Five years, the woman replies. The soldiers use the local coal mines to fuel their Fire Nation ships. The boy, Haru, complains that everyone in the village is a coward. Katara tells him he could help with his earthbending, but his mother says earthbending is forbidden, and Haru must never use his abilities. Obviously striking a nerve with Katara, she says asking Haru not to earthbend is like asking her not to waterbend. It's part of who they are. Unmoved, his mother tells Katara that she doesn't understand. They could take Haru away like they took his father. That must be hard. Do you think Haru's the last earthbender in this settlement? No. I think there's a bunch. I think they're all just like, I bet you it's way more common. I feel like there's more earthbenders than there are waterbenders for some reason. I think it's because we've hmm. seen more at this point. And like, like in total across like the total, world? Or? Yeah, I feel like we've seen more earthbenders in total up until this point in the series than we have waterbenders. Because the city of Amashu was literally using earthbending for a mail system. Yeah. Yeah, true. I could see that. Whereas waterbending, we've only really seen Aang do it and Katara do it. Also, Katara is the only waterbender in the southern tribe. And while right. the northern tribe is much, much larger, that's still one place in the whole world versus the Earth Kingdom, which is this huge mass of land. Yes. Yes. So I feel like there's probably... Like I want, I don't, I don't want to say one per household. I want to say like there's less than that, but it's like not too far off. Like maybe every other household has one, but they're so afraid to use it because they don't want to get taken out or or not taken out, but taken you know away by the Fire Nation that they're just like, all right, I just won't do it. It's just the path of least resistance at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is probably very spirit breaking because. Yeah. Like Katara said, you're denying your abilities. Um, but I think for her, for Katara, she immediately feels bonded to Haru because she might view him as the the only earthbender in the village and feeling like he's being told what she's been told her whole life, where instead of you shouldn't earthbend for her, it's always been you can't waterbend because there's yeah. no one to teach you. Right. Haru shows the gang to the barn they can sleep in as long as they leave in the morning. Aang promises to make sure Appa doesn't eat all of their hay while they're there, but <laughs> Appa's already chowing down and looks back at them with a full mouth. I love his expression. He's like, yeah. I promise Appa won't, won't eat all your hay. And he's like, 
you promised what? As he has a yeah. mouthful of hay in his mouth. Yeah. I love it. Katara walks back with Haru and apologizes for what she said earlier, saying she didn't know what had happened to Haru's father. Haru tells her the way Katara speaks reminds him of his father. When the Fire Nation came to their village, it was his father and the other earthbenders that fought the soldiers. But in the end, they were all taken away. That's why Haru hides his bending, even though it's the only thing that makes him feel closer to his father. Katara shares that her mother's necklace is all she has of her, and that she was also taken away by the Fire Nation. Both of them agree that these small keepsakes are not enough. Yeah, that's like kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, but that's definitely heartbreaking. And um, obviously a powerful moment, a powerful bonding moment for these two people. And it's nice, too, because they the creators of the show like put it on a hillside. There's like a pretty sunset in the background. Yeah. They're like sharing these personal anecdotes. Um, but I think it definitely helped them um, relate to each other, but then also depict just how far reaching the fire nations um actions are oh yeah further down the road katara and haru hear a loud explosion and see a cloud of dust billowing out of a mine shaft they rush to it and find an old man trapped under a pile of earth and rock katara and haru struggle to get him out and katara tells haru to use his bending to save the man since there's no one around to see it Deeply conflicted for a few tense moments, Haru finally decides she's right. He stands in front of the shaft and with two powerful moves pushes all of the earth back into the mine. They then help the old man back to the village. It's it's your classic superhero moment where it's like, use your abilities, like you need to help this man. And he's like, well, I can't, like my secret. They're just like, it's it's your secret or this man's life. What do you value more? And he's yeah. like, you know, he's a good guy. So he's like, yeah, okay, this guy's life is obviously more important. So it's right, very selfless yeah. of him. It's like, it's like a hero's call. It's yeah. like you see someone, uh, someone struggling and someone suffering. Are you going to try to save them with your, your abilities? Yeah. And he does because Haru is a good guy. He is a good guy. He's a good guy. He later grows a terrible mustache, but he's a good guy. <laughs> a, a terrible mustache is no way representative of an individual. <laughs> Actually, a terrible mustache is a terrible representation of one terrible individual. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That night, nestled in the barn under the warm light of a lantern, Katara tells Aang and Sokka about how brave Haru was that day. Aang believes Katara inspired him. Sokka is not interested in the conversation and tells them to go to sleep because they leave at dawn. If the Fire Nation discovers Aang here, they'll all be eating fireballs for breakfast. Better fireballs than nuts, Katara jokes. (laughs) Q laugh track. (laughs) As Team Avatar sleeps, a procession of Fire Nation soldiers marches through the night with lanterns and spears. They arrive at the home of Haru and his mother. When Haru answers the door, the old man he saved from the mine that day points his finger and identifies Haru as an earthbender. I actually like how dramatic that scene was. It was um, mm-hmm. kind of reminiscent of the villagers in Beauty and the Beast at the end where they march to the castle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or even like um, like a Frank. Like I've never seen or read Frankenstein, oh, but like I would imagine it's very similar, you know, not pitchforks necessarily, but torches and just, just this like unit of going against someone who's different. Yeah. Or apparently different than the rest. Yeah. How sinister, too, to go in like the dead of night, like the middle of the night, mm-hmm. knowing that they're going to be home and asleep and they can capture him. Not only makes it scarier for everyone else being like, oh, they came in the middle of the night, like when he's supposed to be asleep, 
Um, it also, this is kind of diving in deeper, I think, but like they control the lighting in that scenario too. Yeah. So they literally can put out all the torches, attack whoever they need to and put them back on. And then it just seems like it just kind of happened. Yeah. There's a lot of scare tactic in that, which is frightening. Oh, definitely. And that's a, that's a really, um, a really important thing to note how all of that builds like the suspense in this. It's, it's like a black bag, yeah. you know, like V for Vendetta. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, they come in in the dead of night, black bag you, and then you're gone. Yeah. And the other thing I didn't even, I this just popped in my head too. They literally control the light in that scenario because they're firebenders. They don't even need the torches necessarily. Yeah. They could just be walking around with fire, like a, a torch in their hand. Like. Yeah. So they're <laughs> literally using like the actual torches as just like a scare tactic. Yeah. The next morning, as Katara bends water into a clay pot from the water pump by the barn, she sees Haru's mother standing nearby, staring off into the distance. As soon as the woman turns and Katara sees the tears streaming down her face, she knows what has happened. Katara runs back to the barn to tell Aang and Sokka. She takes the blame, saying it's all her fault that Haru was taken away. Sokka takes her hand and puts an arm around her shoulder. When she tells him that Haru was taken at midnight, Sokka tells her it's been too many hours. They won't be able to track them down. But Katara says they won't need tracking. The Fire Nation is going to take her right to Haru. She is going to be arrested for earthbending. But what? <laughs> You're not an earthbender. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Sokka responds to her. He he obviously sees his sister is distressed. And for all the crap he gives her, he immediately went to her and like held her, which was so sweet. Yeah. Also, him taking note of when they came to take Karu um, is an early hint at how his strategy plays an important role throughout the series. Because while he's not a bender, he's the idea guy. He's the one who can track yeah. and plan and strategize. Um, so we see kind of like a hint of that here. Oh, for sure. Yeah. On the road leading to the village, Katara and Sokka set up their earthbending plan. Using a nearby ventilation shaft and Aang's airbending, they will make a well-placed boulder appear to levitate. After they go over the plan, Katara asks Aang if he got it all. Aang is relaxing next to the other great, casually airbending little puffs of air at a butterfly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Why are you taking all the fun out of this? We're not. We're trying to make sure you're prepared. Yeah, that's taking the fun out of this. <laughs> yeah. By this, do you mean intentionally being captured by an army of ruthless <laughs> firebenders? Yeah, the fun stuff. <laughs> That's like so quintessentially Aang. I know. It, it was very like also Naruto slash Goku-esque. Yeah. Where he's like very confident in his abilities to the point where he's just like, I like kind of having slight ADD, momentarily ADD, where he's just like, ooh, a butterfly. And he's playing with the butterfly with airbending. Um, not super paying attention, which we'll see kind of comes up a little bit for like a moment yeah do you think it's because he personally hasn't gone through anything as serious as uh katara and Sokka have i mean he kind of has though he has but like not personally i mean he saw the aftermath in the the air temple but like i mean he had to freeze himself to hide from the fire nation yeah in the beginning I'm wondering, because of the way that he responds to these very serious moments, he always wants mm. to have fun and he sees the the lighthearted side of these situations. I wonder if it's because of just the way he was feeling that day or if that's a direct result. I think, I th so for me, it could be a couple different things. It could be uh, his age because he is younger than either of them by a couple of years at least. So it could be like a, a maturity type of thing or it could be a coping mechanism. 
Yeah, that too. Kind of like a deny the threat, deny the danger and yeah, focus on the positive. Yeah. Or even just like a live in the moment yeah. kind of mentality too, where he's just like, if you, you can overthink something to any extent, but you know, if you can't execute your plan, then all the overthinking isn't going to do you any good. And Aang, it might be a confidence thing too. Ang knows that he can execute the plan because it's literally just blowing wind yeah, through a shaft. It's simple. So he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I got this. It's fine. And Or maybe that's another thing too. He doesn't see this as like something to pay attention to. It's like, yeah, cool. I just do one thing. I do one trick and that's it. We're done. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got this. You guys are making this yeah. too serious. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, next, we see an incredible performance from Katara and Sokka. Note my sarcasm. <laughs> they act this. out an argument where Katara insults Sokka's ears and shouts, I'll show you who's boss, earthbending style. The cue that signals Aang to airbend into the ventilation shaft. As expected, he misses it and Katara has to do it a second time. When he finally airbends into the shaft, the boulder is levitated into the air to reveal an armpit-licking Momo. <laughs> Even after all of that work, the soldiers misunderstand and think the lemur is the one earthbending. No, you idiot, it's the girl, says Sokka. Right before the soldiers take her away, Sokka whispers in her ear that she has 12 hours to find Haru. So I love, there's a couple things about that. I mean, I love everything about this, but um, taking out the lemur misunderstanding I love the argument between Katara and Sokka because Katara, I feel like Katara really hates Sokka's ears because she like really leaned into that. And yeah. Sokka was like, all right, like, like back off. And she's like, I will not back off yeah. those ears. Elephants have smaller ears. He's like, OK, I get it. Back off. <laughs> and then he um, immediately after that makes fun of Momo's ears, yeah. just kind of like be like, your ears are larger than mine. And then Momo's ears goes down. Uh, and then the the Fire Nation army are just like, oh, like, you know, like the the lemurs doing the earth bending. And then once they realize that it's not the lemur and that's like a really dumb thing to assume, period, they get their face gets super red and they get super embarrassed, which is what I like about this representation of the Fire Nation. They're all like absolute just jerks and just like hoop heads. Um, but these are the rejects. I feel like these were just, if anyone's ever seen like Invader Zim, where Zim is just like the worst alien. So they send him to Earth because no one wants to conquer Earth. I feel like yeah. that's what happened kind of here is like, we're going to put you somewhere where you cannot mess up the Fire Nation's plans. You can still contribute in some way, I guess, but just like get you out of the way. So they send them to like some small town, earth bending village to just kind of like, make sure there is not a lot of earth bending yeah yeah like you screwed up you failed your uh your fire bending military test we're gonna send ship yeah. you off to this this backwards uh settlement in the middle of nowhere next to a mine yeah. that's gonna be yeah. your outpost yeah i also feel like these are probably just like a bunch of the cowards too maybe a bunch of like soldiers who tried to run off or something like that because we don't see an honorable fire nation representative in this episode that's an interesting theory yeah because the tax collector guy um he he definitely was despicable it was obvious that his mm -hmm. character is flawed and he doesn't have honor like some other firebenders mm -hmm. would um yeah that's interesting maybe like 
after messing up a couple assignments, he uh, yeah. got sent here. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I think everyone did. Like, I think that's just what it is. Because if you think about all the Fire Nation people that we've seen so far, they're honorable. They have, you can see where their honor lies. Mm-hmm. You, even if they lose it throughout the episode, thinking about like Zhao, but like everyone, like Iroh, Zuko, the foot soldiers, they all like have some sort of code they go by. Yeah. These guys don't. Yeah. Katara is carted away and shipped to an intimidating metal rig in the middle of the ocean. Sokka and Aang tail the ship on Appa, sticking to the clouds for cover. The closer they get to the rig, the more worried Aang becomes. Sokka reassures him, saying Katara knows what she's doing. On the rig, the newest earthbending arrivals are greeted by the warden. He tells them he prefers to think of them not as prisoners, but as honored guests, and hopes they will come to think of him as their humble and caring host. This courteous image is quickly ruined, however, when one of the prisoners interrupts the warden with a cough. The warden sentences the man to a week in solitary to improve his manners. The warden then explains that the rig they have been brought to is made entirely of metal. The earthbenders are miles away from any rock or earth, so they should let go of any illusions of being able to bend. It is impossible. Couple things here. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen pretty consistently that the Fire Nation appears more technologically advanced than other nations. Yes. Um, yeah, we don't quite know how they lay siege to the Southern Air Temple, but they did. They did it in the middle of this mountain range. Um, and mm-hmm. then, of course, their ships look very advanced. And we don't see that from any other nation. So I feel like the Fire Nation is that symbol of disharmony from the elements because they're using their element for power and corruption and domination. Well, I think so. Like each of the civilizations, if you want to take a moment to deep dive for a bit, these civilizations are evolved from the bending that they possess. Mm -hmm. So earthbending doesn't really need, like the earth kingdom doesn't need a lot of transportation because they can literally just move the earth. Essentially they could like make like a cube sit on it and then push it as much as they want. Um, Airbending is very harmonious because the wind is intertwined with nature and does isn't very destructive with the exception of like hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff like that. But, you know, if you could harness that power, it's like you could literally sail and not have to worry about where you go because you can control the wind. Um, Water, like very similar to like, yeah, you could drown someone, but like they don't really they don't do that. They don't need to. Fire is very, very synonymous for me with like steam powered things, mm. which is the beginning of like the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. If I remember my high school history correctly, <laughs> which I may or may not be, but like it is very, it's very interesting that the fire nation is figured out this use for their ability. Cause there is no real practical application other than campfire mm-hmm. for something like that. Like fire is very destructive in general. Yeah, very much. Yeah, fire fire really lends itself to um, industrial progress in that way. Yeah. Do you want to talk about uh, yes, the warden? Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. So the warden is actually uh, voiced by George Takei. And if you if that name sounds familiar to you, it absolutely should because he's Mr. Sulu on Star Trek. So, like, there's that. He's also forever a meme as well. Because with his like, oh my, he does that so much. <laughs> That's like a big thing with him. 
I never watched Star Trek. Actually, fun fact, my mom watched Star Trek, I guess she used to say, this is what she claims. You would think that she would have a crush on your typical like Shatner or maybe even Nimoy, but no, she had a crush on George Takei. That's so, so cute. Which is, I was like, mom. <laughs> you know, I just Googled, mm-hmm. uh, oh my meme, George Takei, and I know that face. I've seen that meme and had no idea oh, yes, yeah, this was him. Is. He's He's great. Um, Another thing that's very interesting about uh, George Takei is as a child, uh, he was in an internment camp for three years. Mm. So it was him, uh, his brother, I think it was his sister was a baby and his parents. So there's five of them. Um, he went on, I think it was Seth Meyers uh, last year, it was 2019, and kind of like recounted uh, a, a lot of what it was like. And keep in mind, he was five years old when it happened so a lot of it is kind of skewed for the through the perspective of a child Uh, but essentially they were taken from their home by soldiers with guns and bayonets at the end of them Uh, they were brought to they lived in a a two-bedroom house in somewhere in los angeles and they were brought to live in a horse stall oh my god yeah it was kind of crazy. George actually recounts it being very humiliating for his parents, but he thought it was super cool to sleep where horses sleep. Oh, so he was like, this is amazing. I get to sleep with the horsies. <laughs> and his cute. parents are just like really like living the reality of it all. Yeah. Uh, and he he's just trying to escape it as a child. It's like having him be or have gone through something like this and living in an internment camp for three years, then playing a character who is running an internment camp. I feel like a lot of his performance kind of like I want to say parodies or spoofs it a little bit, mm-hmm. too, because the the opening monologue that we get from the warden is, as you had said, he's like, yes, you are. You are all living here now. I view you as my distinguished guests. And yeah. as such, you should treat me with the same amount of respect. And he's like lying through his teeth. He's being he's an absolute dirtbag. There's no respect being given whatsoever. He probably doesn't view himself as being the worst Fire Nation warden you can possibly get. So therefore, he is better than everyone else. So you should treat him better than you would a typical Fire Nation warden. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just as the villagers were being imprisoned for being earthbenders, Takei and his family were forced into those camps for just their being Japanese. Yeah. So very similar. Yes. Yeah, I always I I didn't see any interviews with him about his role because it was only for an episode. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd be very curious to see, like, if that was a factor in him deciding to take this role or if yeah, he just like or if maybe he didn't want to take it because of that. Um, another fun fact, actually, that's just kind of dawning on me. Um, George Takei also did a voice in Star Wars Clone Wars. Oh, which, you know, as we know, um, was overseen by Dave Filoni, who directed a whole bunch of episodes in mm-hmm. Avatar The Last Airbender. So I wonder if, like, that connection was made, whereas they met here, potentially. And then he's like, hey, you want to do this Star Wars thing with me? I accept that in my head canon. Yes. <laughs> I think that is exactly what happened. <laughs> I, I have so many things like that, like um, Adam West and Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. Seth MacFarlane worked on Johnny Bravo as an uh-huh. animator, and I think maybe a writer. Uh, and Adam West was um, a reoccurring character as Adam West on Johnny Bravo. And that's what happened with Family Guy with Adam West. 
in my head. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Getting back to the rig. Yes. Katara and the other prisoners are led to an open yard where Katara quickly finds Haru. When she tells him that it was her fault he got arrested and that she came to rescue him, Haru is shocked and tells her she has guts for allowing herself to get arrested. Haru introduces Katara to his father, Tyro, who we quickly see is a kind and warm man. He offers Katara a bowl of food, telling her the soupy white broth isn't as bad as it looks. When she tastes it and makes a grossed out face, he laughs and agrees that it's still pretty bad. Yeah. Tyro is voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson, who is a super well-known voice actor. He's done like he's if you think about voice acting, you think about like Noel North, Troy Baker, how they're in yeah. literally everything. He's on that list too. Like if you Whoa. go through his IMDB, it is literally everything you can imagine. Like he's voiced Groot, um, and basically if it's not Vin Diesel, it's probably him. Wow. Kind of deal. Um, in terms of just like the animated stuff, he's, um, done, it's too many things to even name everything he's, he's been in Batman cartoons. He's been in Marvel cartoons, like all over the place. Uh, Dave Filoni did direct this episode too, by the way, just double checked it. (laughs) Fun facts. Fun facts. That's great. You know, with that voice, I'm not surprised. Um, he has a very like, uh, what's the word? He has a very gripping voice. Yes. You can't help but listen to what he says. Exactly. Yeah. You can't yeah. help but listen yeah. to his voice. Yeah. So he's done Young Justice, Teen Titans, Marvel. He was in Tangled, the series. That's more recently. I uh, love mm. Death and Robots, which if you haven't seen that. Oh, wow. Not for kids no. at all. But <laughs> not it's even amazing. Close. Not even close for kids. Um, he's also done some SpongeBob work, Ninja Turtles, Transformers, uh, Lego Star Wars, just like the list really goes on for it. So he's very well established. He's definitely like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a portfolio. That's incredible. Yes. So far, like the the people in this, like the guest stars, essentially. May Whitman's mom, who's been in like literally <laughs> everything we never even knew. Kevin Michael Richardson, George Takei, like it, this Tom Kane does a voice and he's done a whole bunch of stuff, too. Yeah. So and, he, and he's just an additional voice. It's like I was going through it like, because I like to go through the IMDb for for the voice actors in it. And I've not been disappointed once. Mm-hmm. Very high caliber for sure. Yes. Another prisoner comes over to Tyro and tells him the prisoners have run out of blankets. Tyro tells the man he will talk to the guards, but to ensure the elderly are taken care of first. It's obvious that Tyro is the leader of these prisoners, so Katara asks him what his escape plan is. Survive, he replies. Wait out the war. Hope that they can all get back home and forget this ever happened, for they are powerless here. Woof. Oof. Big woof. Seriously. Broken man right there. Everyone's broken there. Yeah. Someone who is not broken, though, is Katara, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. she says, we'll see about that. She stands up and gives a speech to the prisoners in the yard. She tells them that when she was younger, she was told stories of the brave Earth Kingdom benders. Even though the Fire Nation has taken their bending away, they haven't taken away their courage. It's the strength of their hearts that makes them who they are, and the time to fight back is now. The Avatar has returned, so they should fight for their freedom. There is no cheer, as she was expecting. Just a sea of defeated faces. Katara is dismayed. The warden on a higher deck is smugly satisfied to see the broken reaction. 
I really like that scene where she's getting all fired up, pun intended. You're welcome. <laughs> um, she's just like getting very passionate and she's just like, who's with me? And like, you can tell that like this kind of happens from time to time where the new person comes in and they try to like incite a riot. Yeah. Um, and maybe the riot has happened once or twice. So that's what like the warden feels like he should overlook it. But he's, he's like you said, very satisfied with the outcome where he's just like, yeah, just what I just what I thought. Little girl. Yeah. Um, I do find it interesting that Katara identifies herself as from the water tribe here. Um, I was like momentarily yeah. concerned that the the guards would hear and be like, wait, waterbender or water tribe. Yeah. Um, how'd she get in here? But then at the same time, like she's a prisoner. It doesn't matter. But like, <laughs> she's not going to like get out. That's a very good point that I didn't even really dawn on me. Cause I was like, yeah, okay. She's going to be Katara. She's going to do her thing. They're on a rig surrounded by a water. I wonder though, if I forget if she said the Southern water tribe or just water tribe, because I wonder if it's a known fact amongst the fire nation that there are no water benders in the Southern tribe. Because they were already, you oh. know, been there, done that, taking away all the waterbenders. Maybe, but even so, like, th- there should have been more alarm with their system anyways. They have someone who's not an earthbender on this rig. So, like, how did this happen? Why does this happen? Like, there should be more suspicion, which yeah. I think kind of now that I'm really kind of speaking this out loud I think really lends to the point that this is just the rejects of the fire nation where they're just like, <laughs> whatever, man, who cares? They're not thinking this through. They're not yeah, just like, could Oh, be. maybe she can water bend and maybe we're all screwed. Will you have an infiltrator here? Who cares? Like what's she going to do? Like try to inside a riot. Oh wait, she tried yeah. that and can't do it. Yeah. So. yeah. I guess my suspension of, of disbelief is like, maybe they didn't hear, maybe they weren't close enough. And the warden just like caught the tone of her voice and knew that she was trying to rally the troops. Yeah. Um, but was, you know, obviously not successful. They're very high up. They're very, very, very high up, too. So I think yeah. you're right. I think it's the body language and maybe the tone kind of carried on the wind. And then he just kind of watched because or maybe even just the body language alone, because he knows what this looks like from a distance. Yeah. So he's just like, yeah. Yeah. That night, Aang sneaks aboard and wakes Katara. The 12 hours are up and he and Sokka have come to get her and Haru. But when they reach Appa on the edge of the ship, Katara tells them she can't leave. She can't abandon these people. Aang caves quickly and is ready to brainstorm a way to help. But Sokka says, I hate when you get like this, knowing he's not going to be able to talk her out of it. They hear guards approaching, so Aang tells Appa to fly away to safety before they sneak off to hide. However, the guards see Appa flying away and they go report it to the warden. When he says, I hate when you get like this, mm-hmm. it's it struck me. And I don't think I've fully worked out why it struck me so much. I think it's because A, Sokka knows his sister is so incredibly caring and gets emotionally invested in many things. So he's used to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's almost like this cynicism in it. He's like, oh, look at you go, caring about people and sticking your nose in places that you shouldn't go again. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so interesting because I feel like we need more Kataras in the world and less Sokka's who are like, shut up, sit down, stay in your lane, you know? Can I I tell you what I think of that statement being a Sokka fan? Okay, yes. (laughs) I don't view, I, I view what she's doing at a high level as 
caring and empathetic and wanting to save these people. But if you really boil it down, this is where everyone's like, oh, I get, get cringy. If you really boil it down, she's being super stubborn. And I think that's what he's referring to. Mm, her stubbornness. Where she's not of- listening to anyone else. She's like, I'm going to do what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And it's something good. Don't get me wrong. It's actually great. It's like beautiful. But I think when he says, I hate when you get like this is I hate when you get stubborn like this and you're not listening to anything anyone else is telling you because if you think about it in a selfish manner, Sokka wants his sister to be alive as long as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. So he's and Aang is the same at this point. They're saying this is dangerous. We cannot help them. We are vastly outnumbered. Please, let's go. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, you will die. I don't care. Sokka's priority, having not met any of these people, is his sister. And she's her priority, having met all of these people is getting them free. Right. I feel yeah, if, like if they were in it together, they would, they, this wouldn't have been a thing. I feel like they, if they all three would of be them on the same page and he would yes. be like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. I, if that's the direction he's coming from, then I have no problem with it. That's it how was, I read that whole situation as I didn't see it as you yeah, saw. It. I like that. But again, I'm, Sokka's my favorite character, so my brain. <laughs> well, will... that was good. That's why you should defend him, and I'm sure I'm going to defend Katara in in moments in the future. Because yes. man, I'm like Katara fangirl over here. <laughs> I know. Well, that's the thing too. It's very easy in these shows to like, especially like Avatar. It's very lighthearted to like not really see the full grasp of danger because they play it off very lightly in yeah. this. Like, even though this is a very deep and heavy episode, the actual danger of that any characters are in granted they're the main characters and a show like this is not going to kill off a main character necessarily especially so early in the show mm-hmm. the danger is very real for Sokka whereas we us watching it and being like well there's we know these characters make it into Korra like for example or at least like well into a lot of like other stuff like a, there's three books of this so yeah like we know they're going to survive but for them they don't know that Yep. So that's so that's kind of like I always have to take a step back, especially on like my second or third or fourth watch there. Just be like, all right, let's live in the moment as they're living in the moment and kind of like see where where their train of thought is. Sometimes you can like you can forgive it like I can with Sokka in this. There's other times where he's just like, all right, where are the men that that captured <laughs> us? And I'm just like, oh, buddy, you know what? I think that's. I think that's the final piece. I think that's where my brain was coming from after just going through the Warriors of Kyoshi when he was very close-minded and sexist and just seeing things not in the best way. Um, I I think that's kind of where my brain was, which is like, don't tell Katara not to help these people, Sokka. Yes. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that is also true. Like they're both, but we both have valid points. It's just different ways to look at it. Yeah. That's all. Um, the other thing, when they see Appa. Yeah. So you have uh you have the captain, a random guard, and the warden, right? Mm-hmm. And they go, they report to the warden. They're just like, oh, we saw a flying bison. Or is it a flying buffalo? And then the warden gets very like specific about this, right? He's like, Well, was it a bison or a buffalo? And yeah. the captain's like, Who cares? It's a giant flying thing that shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. And then the captain throws or the warden throws the captain overboard and then goes to the soldier. And it's just like, 
get the captain and inform him we have intruders and the guy's like the soldier's like that was the captain that <laughs> yep. he threw and he's like well get someone i haven't thrown overboard and tell them um super funny moment like i, I watch every time i watch that i burst it out laughing if you are wondering irl or in real life for those of you who are not on the internet all the time like me what the difference between a buffalo and a bison is, I'm going to tell you that right now. Generally, the buffalo has a larger body than the bison. So again, it'd be difficult with Appa to kind of figure that out. The buffalo also has a bigger horn and a much bigger head than the American bison. The buffalo also has a smooth coat and the bison has a shaggy winter coat. The bison has short and stocky legs and a short horn and a hump on its back. So that's your differences. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I, I figured feel like... people might want to know that. <laughs> and if they don't. If they don't. You're welcome. You, you, got, go. a, you got an animal lesson here. I feel like mm-hmm. that was um, that was like an episode of Zaboomafu. Have you watched that? No, I've never even heard of that. Oh my gosh. It's um I think it was on PBS, but it was this uh animal centric show with a lemur who was like a co-host with these two brothers, I think. Mm. And they explore the animal world and they have all these lessons and it's really fun and and like kid oriented. But we watched that all the time as a kid and learned a ton of information about animals. So Thanks for the lesson, Greg. You're welcome. I had a question. I figured other people might. So, And I also made that mistake, I feel like, in episode one, where I was like, fine, buffalo or bison or whatever. Doesn't matter. No, it does. It, it greatly matters. Not when you're a Fire Nation and you see one flying around your prison encampment. But, you know, it does matter in the grander scheme of things. Hidden behind some shipping crates, Aang, Katara, and Sokka brainstorm a plan. While Aang is focused on stealing the warden's keys, Katara wonders if there's a way to help the prisoners help themselves. Aang notices smoke coming out of the ship's stacks and tells them they must be burning coal, or earth. The gang plans on replicating the trick they played to get Katara arrested, using Aang's airbending to funnel coal through the ventilation system to the ship's deck. While they wait, however, Katara and Sokka are surrounded by the warden and his guards. Finally, a huge pile of coal surges through the nearby vent and a coal-covered Aang leaps out after it. Katara picks up a piece of coal and tells the earthbenders, this is their chance. Take it. Once again, the group of prisoners are silent. Tyro even holds his arm out to hold back his son. Behind Katara, the warden laughs. Calling her a foolish girl, he instructs her to look at the broken faces of the prisoners. They will not respond to her inspirational words. She has failed. Yeah, that's like one of those moments where it's just like, ah, gee, like they're like, if you didn't think these men, women and children, whatever, whoever is living there are broken before with the Mm -hmm. TED talk, definitely not. Like you have your ammunition, you can make at least make your escape. And they're just like, what's the point, man? Yeah, it's like it's like opening the gates and saying, look, you're free. And then they don't want to leave. Very like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. At that point, like specifically with Morgan Freeman's character, where it's just like, you know, they're they're broken. They're they're institutionalized. They they live there. That's their life now, and they hope that I don't even think they're really hoping the war is over at that point. I think they're just like, 
but he says like we're just gonna wait for the war to blow over and then hopefully we get out of here but i don't think they even think that's possible i think they're just accepting that they're gonna die there and that's it yeah and that's that's so heavy yeah the warden though when he turns away a piece of coal hits him in the head when he turns back around he finds haru standing in front of the prisoners palm spinning three pieces of coal in the air the warden retaliates and sends a blast of fire at Haru, but the fire is blocked by a wall of coal, bended into place by Haru's father. With that, the other benders finally join the fight. Finally. And finally. But I, I do think it's important to note that Katara has been, you know, giving her TED Talks, telling them, remember your courage, fight back. This is your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You have to take ownership. But it takes her and another newcomer, Haru, to really incite action in the prisoners. And it was only because of Haru's father also joining in to defend mm-hmm. his son. Obviously, he's going to do that. But yep. once they see that Tyro, their kind of unofficial leader, took a stand, like that's when everyone's like maybe snapping out of their their like dream state. Yeah. Where they're just kind of complacent. And finally, they fight back. Yeah, I agree. It is interesting, too, how we see uh, different forms of earthbending here, because so far we've only seen Bumi and his style, which is very, uh, like we said, very grounded, very like strong steps and stuff. But here I think we almost see uh, more fluidity. There's Mm -hmm. like more pinwheeling of the arms and bending as teams, especially with Haru and his father, who bend a big pile of coal up and pack it together with their bending until it's strong enough to break open the yard door. Really cool seeing that. I thought about diamonds when I saw them do that move. Oh. Applying so much pressure to coal that it turns as hard as a diamond. They could be rich. What are they doing? <laughs> oh my God. That's a great point. Any earthbender, assuming diamonds are, maybe they're not, maybe they are, you know, like copper coins and have no value whatsoever but if diamonds yeah. are valuable in this world it would be so easy to get rich as an earthbender just go into a mine get mm-hmm. a bunch of coal mm-hmm. apply a lot of pressure and yep. then you're rich although that's probably why they're probably not considered precious because they're probably so common yeah i bet you like because there's so many earthbenders and any earthbender could probably make a diamond so while they're really pretty, they're not rare. So the, the, the demand is probably not there. I would probably agree with you. That yeah. logically makes sense. But man, if there were only earthbenders in this world. I know. <laughs> to at least get rich quick before everyone else catches on. When the prisoners run for the door, Aang provides cover by bending an air funnel and flinging pieces of coal at high speeds. The coal knocks the warden and guards down, and one of the earthbenders, along with Haru and Tyro, bend the firebenders over the side of the ship on a big pile of coal. I can't swim, cries the warden. Don't worry, I hear cowards float. I love that line. (laughs) So good. Like, talk about a one-liner. Yeah, would you say that's an Iroh-level mic drop? Yes, 100%. I would also. I also wonder how long Tyro had been thinking about that one line. I wonder. <laughs> so good. Like I, when, every time that happens, I'm just like, oh man, good for you, man. Good for you, Tyro. It's also the quality of the voice acting, right? It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. it goes straight through. You're like, ah, oh, that was so good. Yes. The prisoners use the firebenders ships to escape the rig. 
On one of these ships, Haru thanks Katara for saving them. All it took was a little coal, says a humble Katara, but both Haru and Tyro correct her. It wasn't the coal, it was her. She helped them find their courage. Tyro announces that when they get back to the Earth Kingdom, they will take back all of their villages from the Fire Nation. Haru asks Katara to come with them. She tells him she can't. His mission is to get back home, and hers is to get Aang to the North Pole. When Haru thanks her again for bringing his father back to him, Katara reaches for her mother's necklace and finds it missing. Dun-dun-dun! Bum-bum-bum! Back on the ship, we see Katara's necklace lying on the deck amongst the coal and debris. A hand reaches down and picks it up. Zuko stands on the deck, gripping Katara's necklace. He stares into the brilliant sunset, ever determined to capture the Avatar. And another bum bum bum. <laughs> also, I this so this last scene was just like a hey, remember this guy? Yeah, right. <laughs> Zuko is still chasing them. Yeah, FYI. He's just- He's getting closer, though. He's getting real close. Yeah, that was like, what, maybe half a day behind them? Yeah, if that, yeah. Yeah, he's right on their tail. Yeah, I just I love that scene, though. He like is holding the necklace. He, typical supervillain. Yes. Like squeezes the necklace in his hand, looks off into the distance. I squint, and he's just into like... Into the sunset. Into Shadows the sunset. across his face. <laughs> it's so good. Dramatic music in the background. I know. Oh, man. <laughs> What a way to end an episode. Yeah, seriously. Um, there is a, a fun a fun little tidbit, in mm-hmm. fact, that I got from the wiki. Um, this is the first episode in which all four elements are bent outside the opening credits. Oh, wow. So Haru and Tyro and the other prisoners earthbend, Katara waterbends, and the warden and other Fire Nation soldiers firebend. And then Aang airbends. Yeah. I didn't think so about that. We've officially seen all of the bending. Yay! Well, all the bending that we know of so far. Wink, wink. <laughs> wink, wink. Nod, nod. <laughs> Can't wait to get to uh, the next couple episodes. Yes, me too. I'm so excited. So, Greg, what would you what would you say is our moral of the story? Um, I would say, oof, and this is a go. There's so many morals that like can be in this one. I think that. The moral, I think the overarching moral, if I look at every single moral I can think of, I'm going to use moral as much as possible in sentences. <laughs> and I can, I can boil them down to one singular moral. It would be to be true to who you are. Mm, love it. And that is, I think, I think that's reflected in Katara with her continuous speeches, even though they prove to not really work until the very, very end. It's the, it's true with, um, earthbending in a place where it's illegal pretty much to earthbend just don't be afraid just be true to who you are i love it what about you um i'm gonna go a little cheesy yeah and say cheesier than mine mine's pretty cheesy no mine's, yours is beautiful yours mine's is like, a like craft macaroni and cheese oh the my cheesiest gosh. of cheese no it's not <laughs> no mine mine is a uh, hope floats i like that hope floats (laughs) wardens do not yes (laughs) what about your mvp who's your mvp of the Uh, episode my my mvp i think it's super obvious like if you really look at the events of the entire episode there's one individual who really stood out for not only demonstrating 
courage in a situation, but demonstrating um, the ability to stick true to views and the facts. And that's going to be the officer. (laughs) It's going to be the officer (laughs) who corrected the warden right to his face. Oh, my God. (laughs) Love that. I love that's like my favorite part of the whole episode <laughs> is literally that one scene. The the captain gets thrown off and the officer's like, so they're just like, they're it. They're the MVPs right there. Yep. Um, I think the episode's designed for um uh Haru to be yeah to be it, but or I think those for me personally. Or Katara. Either one. I know what yours yeah. is. <laughs> Do you? Who is it? I think it's gonna be Katara. I think I think the episode designed it to be that way. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to say Katara. I mean, this was basically one giant Katara TED talk. So how could she yes. not be the MVP, right? Yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, no, really though, she showed so she so sewed. Oh my god, she showed so much strength in this episode. And I mean, going off of your morals, she stayed true to herself the whole time. Mm, she she is ever focused on helping people in need and. Um, realizing her own potential and trying to help others realize theirs. And even though she was knocked down a couple times after trying to help people and not seeing any traction, she kept trying until she succeeded. And so I think in a lot of ways, especially in the world that we are living in right now, you kind of need that hope and determination to get through the different events of life. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I just like my answer better. (laughs) And that is why I love having two MVPs because I find that they're like the perfect bookends. Yes, I agree. 100%. All right. That is all the time we have for this episode of Avatar, the podcast. Once again, we would love to hear from you. Who is your MVP? What moral of the episode did you get? Email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at podcast avatar. We both really appreciate you taking the time to join us in our discussion. Next week, Fire Sticks and Roku. And the proper way to announce your entrance and your exit. Hey, bye. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, podcast. the Podcast. It wasn't even close. We'd never do it on time. <laughs>